There are some people that make their work just another thing they have to do. And there are those that make their work something that they want to do. Welcome to Working on Purpose with your host, Elise Cortez. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration from those people who have found deeper meaning and personal connection to their work life. It's beyond 9 to 5. It's Working on Purpose. Now, here is your host, Elise Cortez. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Elise Cortez, joining you live from Dallas, Texas, which is home base for me. If you've been tuning in for a while, you know this program is dedicated to helping people create more meaningful and and productive personal and work lives and equipping leaders inside organizations to cultivate meaning and purpose to elicit passion, inspired contribution, innovation, and persevering performance. I converse with my guests to draw on their expertise and share my own experience consulting, speaking, and developing workforces across the globe. In these weekly conversations, it is my intention that you derive value you can immediately apply to your personal and work lives, so I invite you to listen in from that vantage point, and it is my fervent hope that you come alive with the possibility of living with passion, working on purpose, and seeing just how big and fulfilling your life and work can be. And if you do catch fire, as I like to say, I don't want to leave you without a support line, your call to action is to contact me via email, might as well write it down now, it's elise at elisecortez.com, or use the contact me feature on my website at elisecortez.com com to message me. In that email, tell me how I can help you, whether you want to join the distribution list to stay informed of these radio show topics, you want to learn something about joining the, the, the Catch Fire Online Inspiration Accountability or Mastermind community, or you want information on my purpose-driven leadership programs for individuals and companies. Back to the program. With us this week is Dan Schauble, a New York Times bestselling author, partner, and research director at Future Workplace, and the founder of both Millennial Branding and WorkplaceTrends.com. He is the bestselling author of two career books, Promote Yourself and Me 2.0. Through his companies, he's conducted dozens of research studies and worked with major company brands, the names of which you would readily recognize. Today, we'll be talking about his third and latest book, Back to Human, How Great Leaders Create Connection in the Age of Isolation. He joins us today from New York City. Dan, welcome back to working on purpose so happy to be here with you again yeah too long i know right we've got to do this more often although like i think it's been two years we were saying before we got on two years ago and you're like hold on just a sec elise it takes more time than two years to write a book so just give me some time and so you did great dan i have been really really compelled by what you've written this time as i was last time I'm very, very interested in, and of course, the world of work and how humans and technology are snuggling up together. So what you have written to me is is really important. So I want to start, if you would, um, you, you talk in the book about the dangers of technology and the opportunity or a way forward for humans to more cautiously steward how it is that we use it and embrace it. And what I was really also interested in is you talk and you share the view with other well-respected experts in technology and artificial intelligence, the likes of which are, are Steve Wozniak, Stephen Hawking, and Elon Musk, who warn us about where the field is going. So let's just start and talk about, will you open this by sharing the nature of the problem between technology and humanity and why you wrote the book? Yeah, so why I wrote the book was a few things. One is every book I write helps people get to the next phase of their career. The, the mission in life I have is to help people at every, every phase of their career from student to CEO. So the first book, Me 2.0, was College First Job. Promote Yourself was First Job to Management. And this is a leadership book. It's a leadership book for, especially for people of my generation, half of whom have a manager title and above and feel isolated in the workplace. The second thing is I was interviewed for a documentary called The, the Revolution Generation. And I was asked what the biggest challenge is for the generation. 
And I talked about income inequality, global warming, world war, student loan debt. Uh, and then in my head, I'm like, huh, what, what's affecting people on a daily basis? It's our overuse and misuse of technology. It's isolated us, made us more lonely. And there's a loneliness epidemic. I interviewed the former U.S. Surgeon General. He said that not only is there a loneliness epidemic, but loneliness has the same health risk and reduction of life span as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. So it's a big deal. It's especially a big deal based on the research I did for the book for introverts and men um, and young people. And there was a whole study of 20,000 Americans by Cigna that found that not only half of Americans lonely and 40% lack meaningful relationships, but younger people are more lonely than e even senior citizens. And to me, that is even more of a purpose of why I should write this book now. And Me 2.0 is the height of the Web 2.0 movement about how to use the social media to build your personal brand and achieve career success. And I think we're going all the way back, back to human and thinking more about how do we use technology the right way to foster more human relationships and not let it isolate us. Mm. So we have a commonality there in the sense that I'm trying to help wake up people to the, the, the beauty, the possibility, the passion, the inspiration of their lives and their work. And we're, we're, we're heading towards similar directions, but maybe from different angles. So I really, really appreciate what you're doing. And another thing that I think is really compelling is I'm very interested in the, the intersection of artificial intelligence, robotics, and the human aspect of the workforce. And in, in your book, you you've talked about a couple of examples of how some well-known companies are employing technology over people. Will you share a couple of those? Yeah, it's it's actually becoming more and more common. I mean, a recent example is Walmart. Walmart now they have they have robots to clean all the floors, and a person used to do that. Jan a janitor they call. Them. <laughs> uh, and then now I was just in Seattle at the airport, and at McDonald's they have robo cashiers. So I was looking at that McDonald's, and I was like, oh my god. 50% of people are using a robot and 50% of people are actually going to a person. And I think this is going to change. I think what happens is all change happens incrementally. So we adjust to things that might be uncomfortable at first, but then become more common, more apparent, maybe even more efficient. So then we adopt those new ways. Uh, in this in this way, I'm saying is people are getting used to these new technologies and then eventually they'll take them for granted. And that's why there'll be a lot of driverless cars and it will be so common that if you see a driverless car, it's it's just everyone's going to have one. So it won't be a big deal. It won't be scary. The percentage of driverless cars that get into car accidents will decline every year and it'll just be part of our culture. And I think that's that's something that we have to think about because as the technology becomes more sophisticated and it, it learns and gets better... Uh, we need to understand our role, our role as humans in this new technological landscape. Yeah, along those lines, Dan, one of the things that you said that was really compelling to me, I, I tend to be an optimist in life, right? So I'm always looking, I want, I, want, I want to spread pixie dust about the world and make things better and and, and uplift people, etc. And so I've had this probably very naive notion that artificial intelligence and robotics will allow humans to work at a higher level, call forth some of their higher level skills and therefore will help develop them. However, one of the things that you say in the book, if I had it right, and you correct me if I'm wrong, is that if we're not really careful and don't start really taking a more proactive role at the wheel here, that there are some that say that those technologies will then be driving us. 
I think there's a huge possibility. I mean, there's so many conflicting reports. Some reports say that we'll have more jobs gained than lost. Some say we'll have more loss than gain. Some say technology will have a net neutral impact on the, the labor force and the economy. So it's hard to know exactly what's going to happen, but there is one thing for sure. Humans and machines will, will be working alongside each other. And so people who understand how to best use the machines to eliminate the routine tasks that they don't even want to do are going to have a big advantage. I think what's even more fascinating that I'm, I'm thinking about now is all these hard skills that are commanding huge salaries. So like programming and engineering and data science uh, they're going to start to become irrelevant in the future. And I think all the robots will be doing all the hard skills and then all humans are left with, with having to use their soft skills to embrace their humanity to stay relevant. Uh, so to me, you know, in today's world, we might view hard skills as being so important and being worth you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in salary, but there's a reason why Google's starting to hire more liberal arts majors. There's a reason why... Uh, the, the amount of jobs that require soft skills are increasing while the amount of time people are spending doing more mathematical related tasks is declining. It's because the machines are doing the, the hard stuff, the hard skills, whereas humans need to embrace the humanity and the soft skills, such as in terms of what I found for the last book where you interviewed me, promote yourself, the ability to communicate, teamwork, having a positive attitude, uh, prioritizing work and tasks, project management, and most of all, creativity. I mean, robots aren't very creative, but humans are. And so think about what differentiates you from robots and then double down on that. I really appreciate that, in part because most of my skills are in the soft skill realm, Dan. So thank you for that. That's a little encouraging. <laughs> I've got something going for me. Uh, but I, I obviously, I do really embrace that part of it. And I love how you have really enveloped all of that into the notion of humanity coming back to humanity and along those lines I, I this is a big part of what I'm up to is helping people find fulfillment and, and you have a part in your book there where you talk about fulfillment and you detail five characteristics of it will you talk about each one of those briefly yeah uh, fulfillment is a really really important part of this book because a lot of people don't know what it means and it means something different to various people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also because I say that we should focus on our own fulfillment before we even try and help other people. We can be a role model to other people if we're healthy, if we know where we're going, if we have a sense of direction and purpose and passion. Um, but if we don't, if we lack that, then it's really hard to take your take yourself and and actually support other people because in the back of your head you're still trying to solve your own problems. And along those lines, just taking the conversation a little bit further from what we said in the last point, and then that that's this that last question just talked about is, you know, this idea of where, what do we do as human beings to really be able to compete in the world and frankly against technology, and and you've already alluded to it, but the best defense we have is to really develop those soft skills, the leadership, the teamwork, and all the social skills, etc. But the part that I found most interesting that you wrote about was in order to develop strong work relationships because that's how business is done. That is the differentiator. That's where humans show up. Can you say more about that? Yeah, a robot's not going to close a million-dollar uh, sales deal, right? So, like... People sell to other people. People buy from other people. They're not buying from machines. And so I think that skill in itself is 
is only going to become more relevant and potentially rare. I mean, I think what's fascinating to me is that technology has hurt our soft skills, yet we need our soft skills in order to live and thrive and stay relevant in a world constantly being used, where, where people are constantly using technology. And to that end, one of the other things that you said uh, that was kind of interesting, and I, I, I know that this is a little bit unusual, that how I'm going to go about this question, but you talk in the, the first chapter of your book about how technology is fueling the loneliness, like you said before, and that social media isolates us even more. And what I found interesting about that, Dan, is that for me, social media has, has been a, a conduit to making some really fantastic connections. A lot of my radio show guests come from being on the radio or come from social media. And now, mind you, the difference is I've sourced them on social media and then they come on the radio and then we have this you know rich conversation which I, certainly is connecting and enriching but would you say more about how social media specifically isolates us yeah well first off what you're doing is the main message in the book which is let technology and use technology as a bridge to human connection don't let it be a barrier you're using the technology the right way. You're using it to find and make initial connections with people, but then you're taking it into a more personal uh, world, like a radio show. Or in my case, you know, the first third of my career was all about personal branding, connecting with people online, and then meeting these people in person at coffee shops for lunch, networking events. So I think that's really what I'm trying to get across here is the technology can be good if used the right way. And the way I interviewed 100 top young leaders for the book, and they said that technology is a double-edged sword. It can be good bad, or bad depending on how, when, and where you use it. So if you use it in order to be more human and connect with people in physical locations or even on the phone or through video conferencing, that to me can be very effective. But if you're hiding behind the technology, if you think it's going to solve all your problems, it's actually going to create more problems. And technology has deceived us. It's made us think that we can multitask when that's not possible. Our brains are just switching between tasks. It's made us think that we're ultra productive, but many times it can be very distracting. You're trying to do a project and you get notifications and you hear the buzz or you see a, a, you know, a written notification on your phone. You know, it, We think that we have a lot of friends. We have a great abundance of friends, yet an av- someone with an average of 150 Facebook friends only has four they can re- rely on at a time of an emotional crisis. So it's deceived us into, into thinking we have an abundance, that we're hyperproductive, and that we're actually getting points across when we can create a lot of confusion if we're just using technology and not picking up the phone or meeting with someone. Mm-hmm. The old-fashioned skills. Here, here. All right, Dan, let's grab our first break. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We're on the air with Dan Schauble. He is a New York Times bestselling author, partner, and research director at Future Workplace, and the founder of both Millennial Branding and WorkplaceTrends.com. He's the bestselling author of two career books, Promote Yourself and Me 2.0. Through his companies, he's conducted dozens of research studies and worked with major brands and has dedicated himself to helping his millennial generation navigate the full gamut of their careers. He joins us today from New York City. We've been talking about some of the dilemmas of technology and how it creates loneliness and isolation in people. After the break, we're going to talk about creating connection. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining us, my guest is Dan Schauble. He is a New York Times bestselling author, partner, and research director at Future Workplace and the founder of both Millennial Branding and WorkplaceTrends.com. He's the bestselling author of two career books, Promote Yourself and Me 2.0, and most recently, Back to Human, How Great Leaders Create Connection in the Age of Isolation. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. Okay, Dan, so for this next part of the conversation, I, I wanted to gear it toward the creating some connections here. We've been talking about how technology isolates us, makes us lonely, etc. So you've got a chapter that, of course, I'm intrigued with. It's on, it's on shared learning within organizations. And I'm especially interested in how companies can sustain a shared learning culture. So more links, it seems like more learning is done through technology these days. So first, what do you mean by shared learning and what's the goal in these organizations for that? What's really fascinating is out of all the chapters, this is the one that has become the most popular. Yet to me, it's the most obvious because I'm practicing what I preach every single day. Every morning I wake up and I spend about a half hour to an hour answering this one question, what's going on in my world? Actually, my company, WorkplaceTrends.com, came from that. It's It's a dashboard of research and trends for HR executives. For me, personally, by, by creating the habit of reading as much as I can early in the morning, every single client call, every event, everything I work on is going to be relevant because I'm already seizing the morning to figure out what's going on so I can therefore share that with other people through presentations, through books, through articles, through phone calls. It's so, so valuable. And in today's world, the average relevancy of a learned skill is only five years. So in order to keep up with the speed of business, we have to rely on each other and train and support each other's individual uh, learning and development. To me, that is essential. And we need to create a shared learning culture where leaders and their teams are learning something and automatically sharing that uh, without even thinking, right, creating a habit so that people can learn and stay relevant together because the skills gap in America is about 7.1 million unfilled jobs. And a lot of the you know jobs of the past have been automated. Future ones will continue to be taken out or removed from the economy. So it really is going to take all of us working together in order to stay relevant. And as a result of that, companies will grow and will be able to continue to stay employed. And in terms of a sustaining a shared learning culture, it's about hiring the right people in the first place, hiring people who collaborate, uh, evaluating them based on the projects they've worked with uh, on in the past, uh, how great they are to work with, based on the stories they tell, uh, how they've added value to their team in the past, where, where they get their knowledge from, uh, how likely they are to have shared this knowledge with other people, how other people have benefited from what they've learned. 
Um, so I think that the best way to learn and develop is to teach some, someone something new. Like, for instance, Google has the G2G program where Googlers teach other Googlers some sort of, you know, their expertise, something that they know. And they're not getting paid to do that. They just like doing it. And therefore, the culture is able to sustain a culture of learning because people are naturally volunteering to support their teammates. Ooh, that just makes me happy, Dan. Googlers, by the way, as I never heard that term. I don't know why, but Googlers make sense. But the idea that there people are always teaching someone else what they know and sharing, I think that's just great and very, very enriching. And along those lines, you talked about how people work and what they how they collaborate and such. I wanna there's two really intriguing things that you talk about in your book and one is about hiring for personality along those lines and you note how such ceos as robert chavez of hermes us elon musk of tesla and spacex and howard schultz of starbucks all make this a practice so how does a focus on hiring for personality serve organizations in this age of technology reliance and is it related to what you were saying before about collaboration etc you know it's a lot of what you've talked about it's hire for personality, train for skill. Mm-hmm. I think you want to be able to get along with these people you're hiring because you're spending a third of your lives working. And so if you're spending so much time with your colleagues, if you love what you do and find purpose behind it, but you're in a toxic toxic atmosphere and you're hiring people who you know, are hateful or trying to sabotage other people or spreading rumors... it's just not going to be sustainable for you. It won't matter how much you love your job. The people you work with are more important than the work you actually do. And that's what I've discovered throughout the research from this book. And so I think that everyone needs to create a diverse culture. And part of that is hiring people who come from different backgrounds who might look different than you, but at the same time, those who you know you can get along with. Um, And so it's a careful balance between both cultural fit versus diverse ideas that is going to allow you to hire people who will be successful, be fun to work with, but also challenge your opinions and beliefs so you, you come up with better solutions to problems. You're reminding me, Dan, I have actually witnessed, I was brought in to do a, a high-level uh, leadership team development, some work with, a, with an organization, and it was because really the guy at the top was just impossible to work with. He was the most gifted technologist, hands down, but he was impossible to work with. And finally, he blew up himself, by the way, it's not 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 literally, but um, he got himself out of the job there because of what, one of his activities or antics, but you're really illustrating the importance of personality over um, skill in that case. Exactly, because you can learn. Most learning comes from on-the-job training. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think the future and everything that was talked about at this year's SHRM conference was that it's all about experiential learning now. Mm-hmm. You could read 100 books and perform poorly on the job. Right. As much as I love reading. Well, along when you talked about before about collaboration, I want to hear more about what, what companies are doing well to help employees collaborate well, especially if it's, if it's meaningful to talk about using technology. Yeah, I mean, the, the biggest technology that people are using in corporate America now is Slack, right? So, you know, IBM and all these companies are using these type of tools and some of their own tools too. But in the, the way they're using it is not just only using Slack, but combining that with 
other ways of communicating like video conferencing, in-person meetings, um, virtual meetings. So I think that you can use some of these tools in combination with other things depending on what you're trying to achieve. So like everything else in business and in life, it's figure out what you want to achieve and then match the right communication tool to that. Um, So for instance, if you want to remind a colleague of a meeting that's starting in 10 minutes, a text message makes sense. If you get into a, a fight with your colleague, a text message does not make sense and can make things worse. It's as simple as that. We have to be more conscious of how we're using these tools. And if we think that you know, email is going to be the saving grace, that it's going to get all the work done for us, and that you know, that's how all these companies operate, it's a big mistake. Uh, and what we found in the study we did with Virgin Pulse of over 2,000 employees and managers is that email is the biggest thing that gets in the way of human interaction at work, yet one face-to-face inter- interaction is more successful than 34 emails exchanged back and forth. No doubt. So I, th- I think what some of these companies are doing is realizing that, yes, we need FaceTime. We need to you know, fly in salespeople from around the world to go meet with each other at least once a year, right? So they get a sense of culture. They see that the CEO is invested in them. And if that doesn't exist, then the company's just going to flop. Like it's, you're not going to be able to sustain a culture and, and have retention if people aren't seeing and hearing from each other for a long period of time. Hmm. Well, and re- related to that is really right, those relationships and how people communicate, et cetera. And, and you have a section where you talk about how companies can help promote diverse ideas in organizations and make it safe for their employees to do that. Uh, and as a quick side note, I'm, I've just finished reading Creativity, Inc. by Ed Catmull, I think it is. He's the president, I think, of, of Pixar. And his like, he's got a big message in there about, you know, really being vigilant about, about culture to make, make sure that people are not moving to fear, keeping it safe. So how are you suggesting that we, uh, that companies make it safe to promote diverse ideas? Yeah, so I, I look at what Google did with Google Google's project Aristotle, where they were looking at what makes for the highest performing teams, and they found that it's psychological safety. Mm. You know, being able to share ideas without any, any repercussions. You know, not being penalized for coming up with an idea no matter who you are. And when you're able to do that, people feel safe, they feel a sense of belonging, they're more likely to share, and you're going to get better ideas that will lead to new innovations. And companies, every company in a sense is becoming a technology company. So if you're not enabling people to share ideas and have a chance at having their voice heard, you're doing a lot of damage and you're doing your company a a disservice. Well, and to that end, I've done a lot of work in my time, and I still do a lot of work with employee engagement, assessing it, and of course, trying to increase it and develop it. And certainly, if if people feel like their ideas are being heard, that is going to improve employee engagement. And you talk about, you have a section there about employee engagement, and you also talk about spreading more happiness. What do you mean by that? Yeah, so there's four employee engagement factors in the book, purpose, trust, uh, happiness, and uh, purpose, trust, happiness, oh, God, uh, and, <laughs> belonging. and belonging. And yeah, belonging. I was going to say, you got to read the book to get the last one, Dan. That's yeah. how you got to say that. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so you need all those working together because that's going to create a great workplace culture 
where people can thrive and pe- people are excited to go to work every single day. If people don't trust their leader, they're just not going to be as effective. If you know, if you they, people don't feel like they belong and they can share who they are and bring their full self to work, that's going to be a problem. Uh, you know, if there's no sense of purpose, if they're getting up every single day and they're just doing what they did yesterday, eventually they're going to burn out. And if they're not happy, if they're not, you know, doing what they love and feeling a sense of, um, I don't know, just gratefulness, but just, you know, a sense that they're fulfilled and happy in what they're doing, they're just not going to stay very long. They're not going to stay very long because there's other options out there. And the best way to hold on to people is to create the right culture and you know, my top clients, what they do is they create a family culture where you feel like you're part of a family and that people are willing to take care of you and support your, your needs because everyone's needs are different and those can shift through the human life cycle. So it's just recognize that we're all human and to support people where they are and, and, and serve them well, uh, regardless of where they are in their career in life. Mm-hmm. You know, you talked about people leaving, they're, they're going to say they've got other options. One of the things that I notice is that, well, a couple of things. One, the Gallup organization says that only 15, 1-5% of the, the global workforce is fully enthusiastic about going to work every day. So there's a, a lot of people that are really not. Now, here in the United States, it's a little bit higher than that. I think it's closer to 40, as they say. But still, I know in my work, Dan, I'm constantly seeing people who are or who are at work, you know, the lights are on, but nobody's home. So they're there. They're present. But they're really not there. They're not giving. They're they've they've kept the job, but they're they're not they're not plugging themselves in. And I think that's even worse than leaving. Well, and it has to do with burnout too. People are working longer hours and are not compensated for that productivity increase, and therefore they're getting burned out. And half of all attrition is due to burnout. So we have a huge burnout crisis in America right now. We've, I've been studying it. Over seventy percent of employees don't have enough time to do personal related tasks. Because what te- what technology has done is it's allowed us to have more flexibility, which people like. The downside is not only does it make us more isolated and lonely if we're overusing it and working from home and not getting human contact, but because we can access texts and emails and work wherever we are, we're always kind of working. Mm-hmm. And there's a big shift in corporations that that's pretty scary is they're doing unlimited vacation days which means people take fewer days because there's a guilt feeling. And if they get laid off, they can't cash in on on, uh, paid holidays or paid vacation. So it's actually, it's not very uh, authentic what's happening. But overall, people are not getting enough time to recuperate. So productivity potentially could decline as a result. Yeah, I certainly see in the work that I do as a management consultant, Dan, I go into a lot of different companies and there is that sense of let's, what 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 else, and I don't want to say this in such a negative way, but this is just really how it's, it lands for me as, uh, what else can we get, you know, these people to ring out in their jobs in a day? And, and it's just, it's just really, it is, it's a really, really intense place and the burnout thing is really real. And people that are like, well, I don't even, even have time for laundry and groceries, at least. Why do you want me to work on purpose? I mean, <laughs> who's got time for that? And I'm like, well, well, I mean, think of what's happening at Google, too. They have the 20% rule where people can spend 20% of their time doing work that's not related to their job description, but no one's able to do that because they're too busy working. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's so sad. Oh, and on that note, let's grab a quick break. We're going to need a break for that, Dan. Did I digest that? 
I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We're on the air with Dan Schauble. He is a New York Times bestselling author, partner, research director at Future Workplace, and the founder of both Millennial Branding and WorkplaceTrends.com. He's the bestselling author of two career books, Promote Yourself and Me 2.0. Through his companies, he's conducted dozens of research studies and worked with major brands and has dedicated himself to helping his millennial generation navigate the full gamut of their careers. He joins us today from New York City. After the break, we're going to get more into the organizational component. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. If you're just tuning in, my guest is Dan Schauble. He is the New York Times bestselling author, partner, and research director at Future Workplace, and the founder of both Millennial Branding and WorkplaceTrends.com. He is the bestselling author of two career books, Promote Yourself and Me 2.0, and most recently, Back to Human, How Great Leaders Create Connection in the Age of Isolation. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. Okay, Dan, so for this last this last segment here, I wanted to focus on how we can really help organizations build that organizational connection piece. And there's a section on, on connecting purpose to the work, since this is, of course, my focus. That's one I was riveted on. And you talk about three tips to do that. One is to bring in a customer who has been personally affected by the team's work so the employees can hear and see the impact of their efforts. I love this idea, and I've seen it done in action. Do you have an example of a company that uses this practice especially well? Yeah, they did it when I was at EMC Corporation right out of, out of school. So they would bring it in not just for the sales team. They would bring it in for the PR team just because we were pitching stories to the media and we needed examples from customers about what they were going through, how EMC helped solve their problem. So I thought it was very effective. You know, if you're gonna, if it's easier to sell something if, if you've seen the, the solution in practice. Yeah. And I remember when I was doing my PhD program and doing that research, I love research too. Not, I certainly not do it the level that you do, but to me, it's a very important part of life and work. And I remember once talking to a CIO of, of a very well-known organization in the food industry, and he said he was all about how people would connect to the heartbeat of the customer. And I'll never get, forget that phrase. And then I, I, I map back over now to some work I was doing. I was doing a, a cultural survey for a, a large healthcare system. Almost every one of the employees that I interviewed, Dan, could talk about how their work made its way and supported and, and touched the actual patient. I was amazed by that. Oh, my God. It's so important. You know, every single day, I believe in purpose more and more. Right? It's like, why are you getting up in the morning? You know, I think we're all, we all should be servants, right? We should all serve other people. 
because that's what life's all about. It's about adding value to other people's lives, whether it's a family, friends, coworkers, leaders, CEOs, customers, partners, there's so many stakeholders, there's so many people we could touch. And I think that it's really important for leaders to communicate how the work that an employee does impacts other stakeholders. And when you do that, there's a, there is a sense of purpose that you get and it makes you more productive and excited to go to work every single day. And that's what that's what work's all about or should be. Well, and that goes back, I think, Dan, to one of the things you talk about is if, you know, getting getting even better at communication with people and, and it, as a soft skill. And so to your point of if, if a leader can actually articulate to someone, wow, Dan, if you know, you did this, do you recognize that by doing what you did, you actually saved the life of this patient or whatever it might be, right? So sometimes it takes it takes presencing or communicating what what's what's the why behind that, that maybe the individual can't see for himself for herself that's so powerful exactly because not everyone realizes it and not everyone sees the bigger picture but a leader should see the bigger picture that's part of the job and so if you can communicate it if you can remind people if you can compliment people and give recognition i think it can be really powerful and you know in many ways a compliment or explaining people what they're what their purpose is and how they can support others and, you know, the value of their work can just be as valuable as money and a cash bonus. No doubt. No doubt about that. And, and along those lines, one of the other tips that you had about connecting purpose to the work that I thought was interesting, and I don't know that I've seen many organizations do this well, but having employees share accomplishments and the sense of purpose they feel when they come to work, um, sharing accomplishments, it's just that's so interesting to me. I know it sounds really basic, but I don't know that I can think of a company that does that or has that part of their culture. Can, is there an example, or can you say more about that one? Yeah, I think... It's more common than you think, but it's just not talked about. You know, a lot of a lot of people will share their accomplishments in meetings, or even in my team. Every Monday, we're talking about accomplishments, and then we're talking about challenges after we share accomplishments to get people excited, but also show that we can always improve and become better, and that there's more ahead. Hmm. Well, and I think starting with with accomplishments, there's energy in that, right? And 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 that there's something about being human where accomplishments and achievement are important to us. And I think that's a great way to start a meeting. I, I just again, I, I can't think of too many that I that I say that that's baked into their culture. So it must be more prevalent than I think, which is which makes me happy. That's good. Um, all right. So the next thing, Dan, I wanted to talk about, and this is, I think this is really, really important. You have a section there about leading with empathy. And I think emotional intelligence is, is so important. And I think it's getting more important press, but there's still a lot of work to do. Um, why do you say leaders need to lead with empathy? It helps you make better strategic choices because you understand what your teammates want and your customers want so you can best provide uh, value to them and support them. Uh, helps you resolve conflicts because you're seeing where other people are coming from and what their challenges are so you can meet them at where they are and help them solve their needs and support them. Uh, and I, I think at the end of the day, people have things happening in their lives. Their parent dies, their kid gets expelled from school, they have a mental illness. And so we just have to embrace people as humans, not just as workers, and ensure that they're able to get the necessary space they need in order to 
relax, get their head straight, and then come back to work fully functional, ready to do a great job. I don't know if you can answer this or not, Dan. I don't know if it's part of your, in your purview or not. Uh, we all, I think many of us get the idea that empathy is important, but uh, some of us might be wondering, well, how in the world can we develop it? Do you have any insight into that? You know what? I don't know if it can be developed, but I think it's a skill that naturally happens. You know, it, you know, if somebody, you know, dies, if something bad happens in your life, I think that's the time in which you start to develop something because those feelings come out and are surfaced and it makes you rethink aspects of your life in a positive way, even though you just faced some trauma. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, got that. Okay, well, back, this is related, I think, to the empathy piece. You've got a section there about improving employee experiences, and you talk about five rules you say companies need to consider about employee experience. What are they? Yeah, I think that rule number one is being consistent with how you treat your employees. Don't pick favorites. You know, have some sort of balance. The second thing is put effort into creating a culture that can be maintained even if you're not present, right? And so that's mm-hmm. about legacy. Yeah. Uh, you know, if Sir Richard Branson or Gary Vaynerchuk is no longer with us, are they going to be, is their culture going to sustain with their values? That, that would be the question to ask. Rule three is strive to understand what makes people tick and how you can support them as individuals and team members. Rule number four is empower employees to be part of the creation process so that they can help create their own employee experience. Great example is Erin Yang, who's featured in the book in this chapter, and she's she was tasked to create the office design for one of the floors in, in her San Francisco office. She works for Workday, and she used a Pinterest board using technology properly to actually field feedback from her teammates so that they could their feedback could be incorporated into the design. To me, that's a great leader right there. And then yes. uh, rule number five is rely less on devices, platforms, and robotics. Uh, don't make sure that the human touch is always there, regardless of all the new gadgets and gizmos that enter the workplace. That's so great, Crisp. I love that you, part of what I like to do with these conversations, Dan, is to be able to help our listeners really walk away with something tangible they can put to work immediately. And that was just crisp. So thank you. Let's let's talk. We've got a little bit of time left here. I do want to talk about creativity. We we mentioned it earlier uh, in the, in the in the conversation, but it's in your productivity chapter. Um, it's a big topic these days. So, can you share a few more a few examples of how we we as humans can be more creative? So, this is really fascinating. Actually, we ask people what brings out their creativity, and it's other people. <laughs> oh. Other people make us more creative because in conversation, it makes us rethink some of our core beliefs and opinions challenges us and we come up with better solutions. So I think we need time alone and then we need time to collaborate with other people. And that combination allows us to be fully functional, allows us to build relationships and be effective in our job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder how much of it, of it too, there, there's a component of it, I should say, um, is just mindset. Like, for example, Dan, I told myself for years, I'm just not creative. I just said that I'm not creative. People would say, what? What are you talking about? You're very creative. And they give me examples. Um, and I, it seems like if we give ourselves permission to play and be curious and, and even just say, I'm creative, it seems like it opens something. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think it, it goes back to culture. It's if people are allowed to and are not punished for sharing something that goes against the status quo, 
that's where creativity happens. That's where innovations occur. You know, but if if people are de de-incentivized to share, if they're penalized, if they come up with a new idea that goes counter to maybe the business model or the normal way of doing things in a company, things will never change and business is moving too fast to not let things change. You know, again, Dan, you're reminding me of some of the work that I've done with executive coaching. And I, I can tell you, I can I can see some of these faces, you know, the, the, the hurt that people incur when they when they feel sent when they feel silenced to their ideas or they're especially if they're ridiculed in public, man, employees just shut down. I've seen that over and over again. And it's it really is rooted in not just fear, but also hurt and anger. Yeah, I mean, criticizing people in front of a group, it doesn't get much worse than that. And you're probably not going to hold on to that employee very long. And replacing an employee, as you know, costs upwards of $10,000 or more. And it's just it's just much better to hire the right person and then to treat them with respect and you know, be their champion than to criticize them. Well, and to that end, let's let's one of our last topics that we can talk about then is really reward and recognition. And of course, I take a strong stance on the value of leaders really seeing their people for being unique humans coming into the workplace and for valuing their contribution. But will you talk? You've got a section on a culture of gratitude. Will you speak a little bit about your perspective on gratitude? Yeah, I think teams should be thankful for what they have, thankful for the people on the team, thankful for the skills that each teammate brings. And there's an exercise about showing gratitude. And it's something that I've done before with my team. And really to go around and and talk about what you're grateful for, grateful for your teammate that taught you a new skill, grateful that you have a leader that recognizes their employees. Like everyone can be grateful for at least one thing. And there's something about saying it out loud. I know for me, Thanksgiving is by far and away, Dan, my favorite holiday of the year. And I host and create a big feast and I go to other people's as well. And there's something, we all do this thing a little bit differently, but saying to the people that are present with us, what we're grateful for about them is so powerful. So powerful. It can make their day. It can just, you know, there's so much negativity in this world. So if you can bring more positivity into the workplace or even at home, it really makes a big difference in your human, human relationships. Yeah, and I think too, and how we feel about ourselves. And for me, one of my when I talk about spreading pixie dots, Dan, I mean, I'll, every time I go out and about someplace, I'm looking for someone that I can recognize. And it's not just because I'm this wonderful person; it's because it makes me feel good. It makes it gives me something to do that. And invariably, when I recognize them, they light up, and they, you can see them getting bigger in the moment. And what I hope, of course, is then that cascades to whatever choice they make next and who they interact with and how they treat them and I hope it's a ripple effect so I just don't think it's that hard but we don't we for some reason we don't do it and we certainly don't do it a lot of times at work which needs to change yeah all these little small things add up into creating a better health and healthier workplace I agree, and that's what I stand for, Dan. I want to I want to make work a much more meaningful, important place for people to spend that third of their lives and make it worth their precious life. So that's what I'm up to. And to that end, as you might remember, I'd like to give my guests the, the last word, if you will. And you know this show is listened to globally, and it's up to helping people more personally and productively, meaningfully connect with their work. What would you like to leave the listeners with today? To use technology as a bridge to human connection and not let it be a barrier. Let it get you to physical spaces, use it in the right settings and at the right times, and it can be a powerful asset, but don't let it be a liability. Don't let it ostracize you from the very relationships that you need to build, not just to be productive at work, but to function in society. 
Fantastic way to finish, Dan. And, and I want to thank you again for being on the show again a second time. I'll look forward to having you back whenever you get around to your your next book. I know you're always working on something. And I also want to acknowledge just what a what a, an important thought leader you are to this space. I really appreciate the work that you're doing. I follow you, and I appreciate. I know how, what it takes to create the book that you that you created. And I want to thank you for your contribution and your commitment to this space. Thank you. I appreciate you as well. Where can listeners um, come find you? What website do you want them to see you at? The best way to get in touch with me is on danshawbell.com, D-A-N-S-C-H-A-W-B-E-L.com. And that has the research. It has the videos, the interviews. It's got everything. That's it's your great. Buffet. It's your buffet. Yeah. <laughs> and a, a nurturing buffet that sounds great to me great way to great way to feed well i will i will look forward to your future work dan and having you back in the meantime listeners we'll see you back next week when we're there when we're on the air with nick craig he's an author of the book called leading from purpose and and the work that he's doing that will be across the globe is really what we'll be talking about it's all about how people work for from purpose and aligning individual purpose with the with the organizational purpose see you there remember that work is at least one third of our lives so let's work on purpose We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, each week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work.